Hello, America. If you're looking for a roadmap to financial health and smart investing, remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. After your family and your health, your money and your investments should be number three on your life top 10 list. I am Mark Cooperstock, and along with my partner, Stephen Mulholland, a CFA charter holder and CFP, are the principals of Mulholland and Cooperstock Asset Management. Our firm is a registered investment advisor with offices in San Diego and Summerlin, Nevada, with one goal in mind, to provide thoughtful, generational, and tax-efficient investment advice while keeping a sharp eye on the economy and the markets. So come along, join us on this journey as we navigate the superhighway of financial news and global markets amidst the daily traffic of forecasters, speculators, and their conjecture. You have arrived. Remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. Along with engineer Griff, back from traveling the world, let's welcome my partner, Stephen Mulholland. Stephen, where will we go today? Thanks for the lovely intro, Mark. Uh, welcome back, Griff. Thank you. Thank you. feels good to be back. So we can't leave our listeners with the cliffhanger. Uh, Mark said you were traveling around the world. Where'd you go? Yeah, well, I was in Israel. I was a part of like an exchange program and I was lived there for almost three months. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> what was your, do you have any one experience you want to share with us? Um, hmm. I don't know. It's hard to pick one. It was just, just everything. It was so awesome being like, I'm, I'm only 16, but it was really cool. Like, going everywhere on my own made me, made me feel like an adult is really cool that, that that's awesome my my brother-in-law studied abroad in israel in college and he went to the same shawarma vendor so many times that the, <laughs> the shawarma vendor eventually told him that he shouldn't be eating it every day and cut him off <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that's funny i think for me the uh the the the, the memory that strikes me most often is the first time we went to the beach and we saw a bunch of young Israelis coming to the beach to hang out and tan and go swimming. And they all had rifles and automatic machine guns slung <laughs> over their shoulders and sidearms. And they took them off and just put them on the sand on their towels and then went swimming. And we learned <laughs> that that was, we, we became used to seeing that everywhere we went. We made you feel very safe. Yeah, like I always remember the first day I was in Israel, right when I landed there, we went to McDonald's and there was like a group of girls that were like my sister's age, so like 18 or 19. And they were all like wearing full uniform and holding like machine guns the size of them. And it was just scared the crap out of me. But <laughs> I got used to it, so. <laughs> it sounds, Griff, like two thumbs up for Israel. You'd recommend it to people who haven't been? Definitely two thumbs up for Israel. <laughs> <laughs> all right, great. Well, hey, Griff, um, uh, I know you have a really important math test tomorrow, um, so we're going to keep the podcast short. But we were texting back and forth, and you sent me a great question the other day. Uh, what, what did you see on Twitter that prompted the question? Yeah, so the other day on Twitter, I saw that Elon Musk tweeted that he explained that he thought that 1999 was peak insanity, but actually 2021 is 1,000% more insane. So I was wondering if you could like explain that, or what does that really mean? So um, uh, excellent tweet, excellent question. And uh, 2021 might be personally uh, uh, more insane for Elon Musk than 1999. I don't know, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna stick to the market context. So it sounds like he's comparing the current environment to the dot com boom, which uh, I'm pretty sure. Oh, definitely, yeah, Griff, you weren't born yet. Uh, Mark, do you were you pretty were you a professional in public markets uh, through the dot com boom? 
Oh, yes. Uh, we called it the dot bomb uh, era. Yes, I remember it well. Yeah, I, I remember. So I graduated from university and moved to the Bay Area in 2001. And what I remember from were uh, uh, sales of people selling Herman Miller Aeron chairs and empty office space everywhere. So I, I arrived um, right as the dot-com bubble was deflating. I didn't get to live through it, unfortunately. Uh, the same brother-in-law with the shawarma incident uh, actually was a lawyer in the Bay Area during the dot-com bubble and uh, being a lawyer for non-tech companies. I, I don't think he enjoyed being in San Francisco that much, watching the limos uh, go by. He wasn't in that lifestyle. So um, again, I, I think he... Um, I don't think he was too sad when it turned from the dot-com to the dot-bomb. But anyway, comparing this episode to then, uh, as everything Elon says, uh, most of his statements contain an element of truth and also hyperbole. Uh, but one objective way we can test his claim is by looking at Schiller's cyclically adjusted P.E. ratio, or CAPE. 1999 remains the uh, highest valuation uh, reading ever for CAPE. Uh, but our current environment is getting very close. So um, today, the CAPE is 38. And an easy way to think about CAPE is it's just like a P-E ratio, price to earnings. So the simple price to earnings ratio uses what's the price of a stock today, such as Apple or McDonald's, divided by one year's profits, their earnings. What the CAPE does is look at earnings over a 10-year cycle. So it tries to smooth out uh, boom times and bust times. Uh, we've all lived through COVID. You can imagine 2020 earnings disappeared and now they're roaring back in 2021. What CAPE tries to do is smooth that out. So the CAPE today uh, is, is 38, which is almost exactly equal to what it was in 1999. And if you uh, use the CAPE to forecast what the market should return over the next 10 years, uh, which uh, the this model, which is developed by Robert Schiller, has a lot of efficacy over a long-term time horizons, like 10 years. Uh, it's not very predictive over the short run, like the next 12 months. Uh, but this model predicts that the market will return about 3% a year over the next decade. Uh, compare that to the usual experience of the S&P, where its historical average is 10% a year, so significantly worse for the next decade. Uh, so in 1998, 1999, the CAPE was very similar to what it is today, although slightly higher. And you're, uh, we now have that 10 years. That 10-year forecast became 10 years history. Uh, what happened next? Griff, you have a math test. We're talking about numbers. Um, the CAPE was almost identical in July of 1998 at 38 to today. The market forecast was 3% a year for the next 10 years. What would you care to guess that the market returned per year from July 1998 to June 2008, sir? 3%? Correct. So the important part of the story is um, the valuation today of the market is identical to July 1998. The, the model predicts when you have a CAPE of 38 that your return per year for the next 10 years will be about 3%. From July 1998 to June 2008, it ended up being exactly 2.8%, rounding up 3%. So it's reasonable to assume for the next 10 years uh, that the model will be correct again and that market returns will be low 10%. We don't know if they'll be exactly 3% um, like they were 1998 to 2008, but it's a pretty good guess. It'll probably be somewhere around there. 
Steve, let me let me jump in here. Okay, so if if this predictive model says basically the next decade or so, plus or minus, is going to be I don't know lackluster for lack of a better term. <laughs> what <laughs> other asset classes you know would you think our listeners should be looking at uh, to you know to even out or you know have a better chance of making more money over that period of time? So it's a great question, but I want to come back to Griff real quick. Did we did we just blow your mind, Griff? I, f- I felt some shock at three percent. That'd be a disappointment. Yeah, that right? seems pretty like that's pretty extreme. It, yeah, okay, good and, and pretty extreme, which is awfully close to the word insane. And coming yeah. back to Elon's tweet, nineteen ninety nine was totally insane, and twenty twenty one is just about as insane. So so maybe not a thousand times more insane, but but it is as insane. And like what you were saying, um, for a new generation of investors have, who have been participating, even as far back as the last 10 years, uh, the S&P has averaged 16% a year for the last decade, right? So consider this partly a PSA to anyone 30 or under that the last 10 years was special and the next 10 years is probably not gonna look uh, like the last 10 years. But to Mark, to your question, uh, part of the answer uh, is a good question. I appreciate it. Part of the answer is other than just having lackluster returns, which is a great way to describe 3% per year, you also had a devastating drawdown. Uh, the, the market from peak to trough, uh, which took a couple years to uh, happen and then accelerated, but peak to trough, the S&P fell by 45%. So imagine you know saving hard, got your first job, you save up a hundred thousand bucks over ten years. You have it in the market. Next thing you know, it's only worth um, fifty-five thousand, right? Or imagine if you just retired with a million-dollar portfolio, and Jim Cramer, who I think I'm pretty sure he was on CNBC then, he's still on it now, and he said, "Oh, the market's red hot. You got to be in the market." Well, your million-dollar portfolio is suddenly five hundred fifty thousand. Uh, you can see where. There, there were a lot of retirees who probably thought they were set around 2000 uh, that ended up having to go back to work or uh, reduce their lifestyle. So the drawdown can be as devastating or much more than just having lackluster returns. So that leads to the answer to your question, Mark. First thing, you can move some money out of the stock market into short-term bonds or cash, something safe, uh, because typically when the market's really overvalued, uh, what happens is some kind of adjustment happens that makes expected returns better, right? It's not like if you bought a 10-year S&P index fund today, it disappeared, it didn't check it for 10 years, uh, the odds are you'll, you'll probably see 2 or 3 or 4% per year returns. But at least going by history, it'd be a pretty extreme roller coaster to get to that point. So one simple thing you can do is make sure uh, you don't have uh, all of your portfolio in the stock market when we were coming out of the 2008 crisis the market bottomed march april 2009 the risk was actually really low for the stock market expected returns are really high it made sense for a long time to have most of your capital in the stock market Uh, today the risk is much higher the returns much lower so step one having some money not in the market uh, it never feels great to leave to leave a really great party when it's at it, when it's when it's raging, everyone's having great. The music's loud, the drinks are pouring. But when it comes to the stock market, that's exactly when you want to start to leave. Uh, if you wait until they call last call, turn on the lights, 
and if you're underage, the cops show up. Uh, that's usually a bad time. Uh, uh, that's a bad time to still be at the party. So one simple thing is to move somebody out of the stock market. Another thing is you don't have to own the S&P 500. Uh, as always, there's companies in the market valued at incredible multiples, insane even multiples. I won't mention any of them, but some of them are truly insane while there's still quality businesses at reasonable valuations. And then also there's stock markets all over the world and they're not all priced equally. So that would be my three-part answer for you, Mark. Yeah, it's funny you said party because I was going to say the party, the party doesn't last forever, does it? Um, and if you stick around long enough, you learn that hopefully not the hard way. One other comment, you're talking, we're talking about you know estimated 3% returns annually over the next 10 years. We haven't even talked about inflation. Right, and that's probably a topic for the, for another 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 podcast in the near future. But inflation, we know, is here and it's picking up steam. Uh, anybody who has bought anything in the last six months has experienced that, from gasoline to groceries uh, to you know PVC pipe. You know, if they're doing a plumbing project, everything is up. So uh, you know, three percent on the surface, you might say, well, it's three percent, but if inflation is running at a rate higher than that, then you're you're actually losing money and buying power. So uh, but we can we can get into that on a on a near on a near podcast. That's an excellent point, Mark. Um, and so uh, Halloween is this month. Um, we're definitely probably scaring Griffey here and a few other people. Uh, but the flip <laughs> side of yeah, the flip side of being scared about lower returns is uh, the optimistic case is, um, you know, Griffey, you're you're young, you haven't even gone to college yet. But imagine if you're an early employee or fresh out of college or younger, you're yet to accumulate most of your savings. Um, there's always two sides to when a market um, goes up a lot or crashes. Uh, when when the people get scared and the market goes down a lot, it's a wonderful time for new savers to buy the market at a discount. Uh, when the market's gone up a lot, it's great for baby boomers, people who have saved a lot already. Um, so these sides are kind of um, almost have opposite rooting interests about home prices, stocks. So um, the optimistic case would be that, um, you know, having some cash, having some money on the sidelines um, usually creates some nice bargains because typically what happens in our stock market is people get optimistic. The market goes up for justifiable reasons and then it goes up too much. It overshoots. Well, the same thing happens on the downside. So um, it, it's a great time to have some cash in reserve. And assuredly, at some point, there will be some nice uh, discounts out there. Kind of what happened in miniature in March 2020. Um, but I think, I think, Mark, that's an excellent point on inflation. And the other point is um, that the market's not static. It changes all the time. Um, so, you know, the model we use internally, kind of knowing the market is uh, that, that we expect it to have lackluster returns, allows you to be prepared when things change. So, you know, don't really worry about it. Don't sweat it much better to have a good read on, on the market and be prepared for when, when things change. But yeah. anyway, Griff, if we haven't scared you enough, uh, one other interesting tidbit, the CAPE, uh, it was developed by uh, uh, Robert Schiller, and Robert Schiller just penned an op-ed in the New York Times. Uh, did you happen to catch it, Griff? Oh, I think I missed that one. Okay, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, and I, I actually, I, I believe we... I'm not sure if it's on our blog yet. I'll double check, but I'll put it on the blog and I'll share it with you. Um, Robert Schiller uh, published a book called mm -hmm. Irrational Exuberance, 
which was called which called the stock market of the late 90s uh, too expensive by any rational measure so the S&P 500 had compounded at 20% per year between 1990 and March two, uh, 2000 when Schiller published edition 1 of irrational exuberance by Thanksgiving a month later the S&P was down 10% a year later it was down 20% by the fall of 2021, it was down 30%, and in July of 2022, it bottomed uh, down over 40%. Now, on October 1st of 2021, Robert Schiller penned an op-ed for the New York Times uh, titled, Stock Bond and Real Estate Prices Are All Uncomfortably High. So, uh, Robert Schiller had a pretty good track record of sticking his neck out there with the bold prediction and got his timing right within the month. Uh, and again, he just published that in the month of Halloween in 2021. So just in case we hadn't scared you enough, Griff, I wanted to do it a little more. Hey, Steve, one, one other point. I think the natural question that, that most people will have is, well, you've said you should essentially be taking money out of the stock market, reducing your exposure. So the, the natural question is how much? And I think those are discussions that we'd be happy to have um, with our clients and any listeners who are interested uh, kind of offline and on a one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis. No, that, that's a good point, Mark. And the, the <coughs> excuse me, the internal model we use uh, says that uh, for clients that can't uh, face the prospect of a, 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 a devastating drawdown that are, have already accumulated their assets, they should have about half the risk they normally take to the stock market. But I think your comment is germane. It, that uh, it's called personal finance for a reason, and it's completely dependent on the individual situation. Like a, a guy, a young man like Griffey, has a long time to build new savings and to overcome uh, really poor performance in the stock market. But uh, seniors like us, Mark, you and me, uh, we might not have the same timeline Griffey does. That's a fair point, Steve. You're right, and I'm glad you've acknowledged the fact that you're older than I am. Thank you. <laughs> I just I, yeah, I wanted to include include myself in the group to bring the average age of the company down, Mark. Or you know, yeah. Anyway, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Griffey, any? Well, actually, Griffey, I know you have your math test. We only have have you for two minutes more. Any other follow up questions? Um, I guess the only question that I would have is just what do you think that how is it going to unfold in the next like if you could make a prediction over the like about the next year, two years, three years, like what would you think that the like numbers are going to look like. I know it's hard to say, but I'm just curious based on everything you just talked about. It's a great question. And because my answer partly involves the bond market, which may be tipping my hand, I'm going to hit the ball over the net to Mark first. Yeah, you know, we, we kind of hesitate to make hard short-term forecasts. Our view on the market is is a longer view. You know, we, we like to look in, you know, maybe not even five-year cycles, but 10-year cycles, which is what the CAPE represents. So I, I think those conversations with, without scaring anybody are better off had offline. But I think the point of this whole podcast, and I think Steve made it really clearly, is that we, really, we truly believe that the, the returns uh, starting in the near future over the next decade are going to be much lower than people have become accustomed to. Uh, so you can kind of take that if you, if you want to take the 3% number uh, and use that. Uh, maybe it's somewhere north of that. Uh, time will tell. But the, the the statistics are 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 pretty pretty factual. They're they're pretty accurate. Uh, they've been back tested uh, back to the 1980s, 
and we feel very confident uh, in, in stating this case. Griff, I put the ball, <laughs> I put the ball on the tee, but Mark didn't hit it with his driver. Um, so I will, I will answer uh, your question even more directly. Although Mark, that was very good um, compliance friendly answer. Um, Griff, historically, one of the things that disrupts the stock market is when interest rates rise. And as, as Mark said earlier, uh, very well, uh, inflation is everywhere except for in whatever the Federal Reserve's looking at. So most likely, uh, as inflation it, it, as inflation remains high, uh, higher and longer than the Fed anticipates, rising interest rates will probably be uh, is one of the um, what's the right phrase? It's it's a it's a known known. It's a known risk. Rising interest rates means. Uh, monthly mortgage rates are higher for new home buyers, which pushes prices down. They raise the cost for companies to borrow, uh, including public companies that make up the stock market. So rising interest rates would probably be the biggest risk for uh, causing the stock market to come down, which uh, on the other side brings up the return for anyone buying the stock market after that raises our expected return. So my, my answer, Griff, would be uh, rising interest rates on sustained in- inflation. Okay, that makes sense. Because then I guess if, if you predict that the interest rates are going to start rising, that has like a huge effect on just like everything. It all feeds into the stock everything. market. Yeah, higher interest rates will typically draw money out of the stock market because those investors or entities that are looking for very predictable returns will find higher rates more attractive and further contributes to de-risking the market, which will also lead to selling, uh, which will lead to, you know, a lackluster performance, shall we say? We're gonna have to title this the lackluster podcast. This episode, not I generally. Hope, I just hope we haven't put anybody to sleep yet. Okay. Well, speaking <laughs> of which, Griff, uh, we're, let's wrap this up. I just want to know what's on your math test tomorrow. Well, I'm in pre-calculus, so it's just like perfect right now. Yeah. So right now, what what is on my math test tomorrow? Just a lot of stuff about like the unit circle and <laughs> stuff like that. So like graphing um like sign graphs and trigonometry and everything that like you want to forget right after you finish the test so (laughs) awesome well don't forget you learn a lot uh your brain processes a lot processes a lot when you dream and sleep so get a good night's sleep for the test and uh send us a copy of your a plus when you get it (laughs) okay i will do (laughs) all right no pressure griff (laughs) all right mark you want to take us home you got it Remember, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of their hosts and their guests. Nothing discussed today should be considered investment advice, and please consult with your own financial advisor whenever considering any investment. If you have questions or one of our clients, please email us with the term podcast in the subject line. For more information about the podcast, the hosts, and our firm, please visit us at www.mk-am.com or email us at info at mk-am.com. Our podcast library and blog, uh, which is updated regularly, can be viewed on our website, again, www.mk-am.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to our next podcast release in the very near future. Mm